0: training edge podcast if you are new here thanks for joining us and I hope you enjoy the content and the material that we have Um, my goal here is to chat with different professionals in sporting world to explore how they and we can find our limit and potential in the sporting world Um, the season has been all about really chatting with coaches and uh, just having them on and doing roundtable sessions Uh, to chat through all sorts of, you know, coaching puzzles and how we approach training our athletes in general. Um, And I've been thinking about kind of just been going through in my mind on what I want next season to look like, um, because it is kind of getting to that point, I think. Um, And I've got some cool stuff that I've kind of gotten the pipeline that I think everyone will really enjoy. Um and yeah, it's going to be like kind of a combination of season one and season two in a way. So I'm pumped for that. Um, but anyways, let's move on. So today, um, my guest is Alex friesman um, who will be bringing in the expertise of you know strength and condition, strength and conditioning, um, and bringing that world into the endurance side. That is my world. So Alex, welcome to the podcast. Um, thank you for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on I say I am excited.
0: So, um, you know, looking at your background, you have a pretty, you know, intriguing background, or at least I believe so. And (laughs) it's quite impressive for your age. Um, so instead of rattling through your background, I was curious actually, if you would introduce yourself and give us a little bit of where you were coming from and your just background and history and sport.
1: No, absolutely not. Uh, Thank you again, but. Um, I mean, this whole ride, this whole journey, I guess, with coaching and with everything for sports performance started back for me, you know, playing sports when I was young. I was all in on football. I was a wrestler, played baseball, did every everything and anything that, you know, a, a, a sports savvy kid would do. And then getting into high school, I got more, um, I guess, focused in on wrestling. That was kind of where I, I had seen the most success, and that was a little bit more of my identity. So. That led me to uh, getting a wrestling scholarship and then actually wrestling at a Division three school in uh, Wisconsin, where I happened to kind of fall into a, a great exercise science and physiology um, program. Uh, the University of Wisconsin-Lacrosse, unbeknownst to me, when I when I uh, enrolled there, had a has a great athletic training, but also a great um, human performance program. And that was kind of their specialty in the state of Wisconsin. So I kind of lucked into that after I changed my major three or four times, um, not knowing what I do in, in undergrad. I think that happens a lot. There kids getting into college and it's like, Oh my God, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Um, so that hit me hard. And then, so I ended up getting an exercise science degree at the university of Wisconsin lacrosse. I got some hands-on experience in their weight room with their sports performance staff, having a, a pretty competitive division three NCAA, um, gambit of sports track and field was probably our most competitive. And then after that to complete my undergraduate requirements, I, I needed to fulfill an internship and applied all over the place. And then I ended up finding a, a great spot at the university of Denver, um, which is right in the heart of Denver in Englewood here. And I actually live about two miles away from it right now, but yeah, that was in 2018. I got that internship. Um, Fast forward through that, finished my undergrad requirements. um, And I was looking for a graduate um, program to join because probably literally because all I've heard in the strength and conditioning field is you need a master's to set yourself apart and to continue to progress. So I was like, okay, I guess I got to get a master's. Um, And I, again, kind of lucked out at the University of Denver. They had a great sports performance um, program that I was interning with. And so I, again, started looking into their performance type of graduate school and what ended up happening there was they had a sports performance but it was a master's of the arts and sports coaching so a lot of yeah kinesiology degrees and a lot of strength and conditioning coaches go the way of the master's of science so I had already done a lot of the physiology a lot of the exercise testing just because the university of Wisconsin lacrosse had a really great uh, kind of fleshed out program so I thought Looking into more of the sociology, the psychology side of coaching could definitely, you know, flesh me out, round me out as a coach and add to my repertoire rather than doubling down into the, the science and the exercise testing protocols type of stuff. So that program I just finished up with, you know, maybe five months ago. All yeah. Right. All right. Well, congrats. Yeah, thanks. So and I'm still making thesis edits that's coming out at some point in my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, that was a great compliment to my um coaching repertoire. And then the other part of that experience was it allowed me a little bit more freedom than typical graduate strength and conditioning coaches get. Mm-hmm. Um most of the time with graduate strength and conditioning coaches you sign on to be a graduate assistant, which means you uh spend about twelve hours of your day in some schools, weight room coaching all of their quote unquote Olympic sports or their non football sports. Um but what I did, I had an online um, master's degree, so I could bounce around and pursue internships that interested me and then different programs that that I really got to um, kind of get free reign on. So after the internship at DU, I, I got a fellowship at DU, which was kind of that graduate assistant position, and that lasts another year. And then I was free to kind of look at and, and pursue what I wanted in strength and conditioning and kind of see all the different facets of what strength conditioning looks like with NCAA football in the power five conference with the, um, Colorado buffs. I did internship there. I went to the air force. I I was there shadowing for about two weeks. I got to see a lot of different sectors. I've had personal trading and private sector jobs kind of all throughout just to support myself a little bit. And then the, the big one, the kind of that that, was kind of the catalyst that I I really like and sent me into the world of like MMA and um, mixed martial arts was I had applied for this internship like four times. Like I'd never even gotten a call back. And then through all these different experiences, I grew my network and then uh, I ended up having contact with the UFC at their performance Institute in Las Vegas, which yeah, is a performance center that they've built and dedicated to their UFC athletes. Um, in order to enhance the training of mixed martial arts, to allow athletes to get down to weight healthier, to train and perform healthier. And, uh, I've been, like I said, I've been trying to get in there for two or three cycles of internships now, but, um, about a year ago at this time, I got accepted into that program and spent four months in Las Vegas where I was a strength conditioning intern at the UFC. Um. And then once that ran its course, I would have loved to stay there um, just but having my family in Colorado, um, my now wife. And then with everything um, kind of growing as a professional, getting done with my master's degree, I, I wanted to move on from the internship circuit and start um, applying what I could and then seeing how I could actually impact a performance um, atmosphere at an actual training gym. And then in Denver now, I am the director of performance at Outlaw um, strength fitness and rehab and that's a gym in Littleton we're a pretty small operation we do great group training with mostly high school football players um, some lacrosse some soccer different sports here and there um, but it's been an amazing experience kind of in that la my past year I've climbed up from the intern to the assistant coach to the director of performance where I'm kind of running the program and um, figuring out the best way to enhance these high school athletes performance um, in the best way that, that I see fit in combination with my other coaches and everybody else that I work with. Um, so there's the five minute summary of my professional <laughs> life. I'm sure you wanted me to go on that long of a tangent. No, man, that was great. I mean, it's, uh, that's quite a steamroll of a, of a process
0: because um, y- yes, that was five minutes, but that, that was how many years? I mean, that wasn't um, six. It wasn't like, yeah. So in the grand scheme thing, not that long. In the, and the covered a lot <laughs> within that, um, I guess, you know, before we start diving into questions, like what, how, cause like, obviously you went through all these internships where you were learning, learning, learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the focus, right? Like you were, I'm sure you were still crafting some degree of your own training plans, but now you're at this point where you're the director,
1: how do you still Teach yourself, or still learn, or still craft your knowledge. Oh man, the the strength and conditioning field is is tenacious in this kind of continuing education. Um, yeah. everything that that coaches, especially with strength and conditioning coaches, um, I feel like the industry has opened itself up to you know more is better, and I'll work these insane hours in the weight room because it's a cool job rather than you know get paid. So I think this continuing education is. is a huge part of the strength and conditioning field. And, um, specifically with me, like after I finished my graduate degree, I jumped straight into a continuing education course through a company called Altus. Um, I'm still developing and uh, working in my own business and uh, building a fighter, which I have with my partner, Austin Shane. Um, but it's, if you're not reading and continuing to evolve your practice in, in some capacity, um, I think every month, every day, especially in the strength and conditioning field, you're going to get kind of eaten up. And to your point, I am developing the skill and I'm learning through all these internships and I'm, but I'm also getting exposed to what I see in a weight room and, and how, what I like about it and what I was doing. And then having the, the kind of knowledge that I did and having the vast experiences, like I, I got to create programs. I got to be in a position where jumping into the director of performance role, that, that was something I felt that I was ready for. Um, it wasn't like, here's a director of performance, here's the first time you're writing programs for 60 plus athletes. Um, I had been in, in charge of you know, 50, 60 athletes since 2018. And then when I moved on to a different place, I wasn't in charge of them, but we are still coaching on the floor. And um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of, a psychopath, in a sense that I'll I'll write exercise and strength and conditioning programs for hypothetical people just to see if I can do it, and just to see if I if I can um, organize training in a in a legitimate fashion around a specific set of parameters. That's kind of the puzzle that I personally like to solve. So um, I'm always kind of on in that regard, looking at exercise science, We're continuing to read further and everything else. So there's a there's definitely a growth mindset that that accompanies the pursuit of strength and conditioning i think
0: cool i i respect your drive big time i mean the uh, i also am a big fan of the strength and conditioning world within as you mentioned there is a lot of drive to uh show new and better things um and you know that could be like social media it could be just the the nature of the sport but it's endurance is not the like that endurance realm is not like that at all it's very much a hold what you did um in preparation close to your chest yeah and then you know show everything that has to do with the event or um the result and that's it um, which means that there's no progression. And then on the coaching side, it's really tough and really difficult, um, to progress and not just find yourself in this, in this rut, which is part of the reason why I created this podcast to begin with. So, um, yeah, I respect both. Yeah. Your mindset towards that. And yeah. I've been, it was I think every year for the past, like four years, it's been on my, um, goals for the year of keep learning. And keep yeah. like challenging yourself to create something new. Cause it's, it is after you've been doing it for so long, you get to this point where you're like, I have this repertoire of workouts I can give. Why do I need to make something new? And um, I think when you get
1: to that point, you just get kind of stale. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, is, so is the cycling kind of program and progression um, and endurance sport, excuse me, and I want to limit it, but is that very traditional in a sense to, to, is there so there's not a lot of innovation that comes out just because people are being so um like withholding with their programs yeah i mean i guess yes and no um
0: kind of mm-hmm. like really within um traditional training within cycling is is rather new as we know it yeah. um like for example basically the person who or one of the like there are four or so i'm estimating here um Ish people that have come up with modern terminology within cycling training, for mm-hmm. example, um, and they're all alive and they're all very close to me, um, and I can oh, I can reach out and chat with them, which is great and, and a phenomenal tool. But that gives you a great perspective of how new all this is, yeah. um, and, and that means. So I guess like in a short period of time, maybe it is progressing really fast. But it, it is uh, cycling in general is kind of like a an old European style sport. Um, so it's taken a long time to shatter that mindset. And I still think, you know, you, you can talk to European pros and, um, go over and race and you'll see all the, all the things you've heard about. Um, you know, I still hear of athletes like roping up a sandbag to their bike and and doing laps (laughs) in their parking lot with it on. Um, yeah, you still hear (laughs) that stuff. So it's good stuff. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh old-fashioned for sure but oh, so i guess the answer to your question is i think so yeah it's, yeah but at the top of the sport it's getting a lot better it's it's definitely getting more progressive and more cutting edge and more minute no that's
1: great um and i actually did uh, quite an extensive kind of history and i think for sharing the conditioning too it, it's such a, a i don't, I don't want to use the word cult but it's such a you know passionate field that almost everybody needs to know, you know, the history of, of strength and conditioning when you get into the field. If like you, you almost have to earn your way in that way, you have to earn your way in to know the the history of where sh- most of these strength and conditioning from, but also you have to train your way into the field. Like, um, I, I like strength and conditioning coaches that don't train themselves, and I'm not saying that you have to be huge or whatever, Jack, like, I'm not that big, but you have to train yourself in order to, to, you know, example and to get into this like strength conditioning mindset, but strength and conditioning in in America, at least is a relatively new kind of concept Um, specifically, you know, took off in the 1980s. Right. And that that was when the, the NCAA and the college football kind of brought a big boom into, you know, let's get these field sport athletes. Let's make them, stronger faster more powerful um, because anything before that was like no if you keep lifting you're turning into a bodybuilder you're going to get slow you won't be as explosive um so then the Nebraska corn huskers and their football strength conditioning program and then they started having immense success and that kind of boomed into the NCAA and every big you know power five football program having strength and conditioning trickled see into the NCAA, sports before sports performance came a thing. So there's a little bit of a a shift from that mindset of strength and conditioning and we're gonna lift weights and do your, you know, your squats, deadlifts, bench press, whatever. And then and then it became into like sports performance. Um, I wanna say in the in the early two thousands and nineteen uh, nineteen ninety. So now we're gonna train this athlete based upon the physiological qualities of their sport and, and how we can get them better specifically and uh, sport specific quote unquote training was a thing for a long time. And then I think now we're just now shifting back to a, a general approach where we're going to make an athlete, the best athlete they can be and give them a general um, potential for performance. And then we'll let the sport practice and the, the athlete figure out how to be better at the sport. But I, I think it's interesting kind of looking at that, the historical structure of where a lot of the coaching and where where those um, highways kind of cross over and, and seeing how influential, you know, singular people are into specific sports. Like that's, um, like you said, you mentioned four or five, you know, a handful of guys in the past decades or so that have single-handedly influenced cycling training. Like, I think that is super interesting that it's such a, you know copycat based approach yep. in, in a lot of sports and in strength and conditioning that it is too yeah it definitely is
0: um you know I, I think that i forget what coaching summit i was at or what certification i was doing but essentially it was we were talking about you know periodization which is essentially just the approach of, of designing a progression in training mm-hmm. um and you know basically we went around the room and we listed off as many forms of periodization that we knew of that like came to mind and there's only a couple that are really like uh that have a a term for them Mm -hmm. um but you know as a coach you need to be able to kind of like step away from that framework and create your own pattern and path for that athlete that works correctly and and um it's amazing how many i you know have to stru like i still have to make myself step away from that framework it's not something that you still find yourself in a rut of like oh that's been done before how about we try something like this and and change it up a little bit um but yeah there's a lot of coaches out there that just copy and and paste what um i guess they know or think works already so no, yeah. yeah
1: that's absolutely and that's interesting too that's like the the like I think another term that's caught fire a lot recently is like the art of coaching and like as much as I'm a fan of that and, and bringing personalized experience and style and uh, personal approaches, I think it it still has to be a scientific based method, but you can make subjective interpretations as a coach and then, you know, audible to your program, but there still has to be, you know, a general plan in place. Um, I don't think we can call it art in a sense that it's spontaneous and creative and, I mean, whatever else you want to call it, but there's still an expertise that goes along with that. And that was a a hugely interesting point in my, you know, quote unquote, master's of the arts um, degree in my graduate school is we're looking at these these social sciences and and applying them to coaching. And then but nobody calls, you know, the social science of coaching. It's the art. It's it's this abstract thing that's unquantifiable and undefinable that just good coaches have it and bad coaches, you know, plug and play. Right. So, (laughs) so it's interesting to me to, um, see what that quote unquote art is to other people, because, um, I've gone on a little bit of a, a kind of a, a counter position where it it is an art in a, in a sense that you're performing and, and being creative with your own programming, but there's also, you know, experiential data and, sociological inputs that you're using to make that call. So, right, um, yeah. yeah, so that, I think that's an interesting paradigm that a lot of recent coaching is, um, shifting towards. Yeah. I mean,
0: <laughs> I haven't, I, uh, um, I have a fine arts degree. Um, mm-hmm. so yes, I'm very well, <laughs> uh, familiar with the question of what is art. Um, and yeah, we don't need to go into that on this, but, uh, totally. I mean, I think that what I've definitely, and I guess this goes back to what I've already said, but the concept of creating, um, to create, and yeah. if you have an athlete come in, um, and there's definitely, a, you know, if you've been working with an athlete for five years or more, um, you have to work to come up with, with new material for them, because that I think also is a sign of a really good coach when you take what has worked and sure it works, but are you just going to get to them, them to the same level by replicating that training? Mm-hmm. Um, so then continue to craft and continue to mold and, and change. Um, and I think if you like, I've received athletes from other coaches. Um, and when you look back through their training and just see that cookie cutter or that replication, um, yeah, it makes it, it makes you kind of sad because it's like you just, kept giving this athlete the same exact thing um so i guess like is that i'm curious um is that something that because i would say uh, some of my athletes have told me i hate going to the gym Mm -hmm. um because they find it a little bit boring so and um a lot of you know the nice part about Uh, cycling and or running or whatever you can go to different places and just being somewhere new can be the enjoyment that you received from that experience um so then how do you and this isn't even one of my questions but how do you uh i guess keep it not boring when you have this static room um you know unless you move the equipment around like it doesn't a whole lot doesn't change so then how do you personally i guess keep things creative and keep things new
1: um day after day for these athletes I am probably going to be in the minority of, of your listeners, but I, I just find it kind of ironic that the weight room is boring when to me going on a 30 minute run or an hour long run or whatever else is going to be boring. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's, you know, my experience. And like I I've gotten into cycling this past summer, I, I probably have done the most cycling I've ever had in my life. And I like, it, it's not boring because I'm in Colorado and because there's beautiful scenery. And I had Chris, our mutual friend, um, able to show me new uh, new paths, new tracks. Yeah. Almost every time I'm out, right? But when I did cycling previously, I, I lived in central Illinois and there was cornfields and a road and, and that was boring. So that's interesting. But fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean the weight room can get super monotonous if you have the same routines or, or you're you're not um you don't have a dedicated goal, right? Or you don't have um, a genuine understanding of how this is going to enhance my performance. And why am I doing this specific thing, um, at all, right? That That's where you don't see a lot of transfer. You think you're wasting time and it's hard work. Like, why am I going through this pain and suffering and this hard work for something that I don't even know is helping or something that I find tremendously boring or uninteresting. Um, so great, that approach, um, for me, especially if I have a seasoned athlete or an athlete that's trained a lot or accomplished a, a certain level, uh, variety and novel movements is kind of the name of the game because those novel movements and that uh, variation is what stimulates growth and what stimulates change in the body. Um, and I'm not saying that we're picking new exercises and just, you know, crossfitting around in the gym. Um, we're going to work on an exercise and get really good at it for, you know, maybe two to six months. And then after those two to six months, we've kind of drained that adaptation. We see some type of plateau, whether it's performance or whether it's in uh, mindset, whatever happens, that kind of, um, interpersonal effect, then we can audible and we can get the same training effect or a similar training effect from different means in the gym. You know, um, in that aspect, it's always pursuing another goal and it's always, um, mixing it up for lack of better terms. Um but I, I also might not be the best person to, to answer that question because I don't think training and adaptations in the weight room could ever be boring to me. But um <laughs> Yeah,
0: but like there's a good bit of stepping into I guess your athletes shoes. Like what yeah. they what they find is actually like if they find something boring, um whether or not you agree with them, it is then <laughs> boring. <laughs> um, yeah and yeah, you I have agree. to figure out how to make it not boring. Um, um yeah no that's totally fair i had a um actually my last guest um, on the podcast jim miller he and i were talking about the concept of um essentially if you have one activity that you're trying to basically an exercise you're trying to get a particular adaptation out of it and Mm -hmm. you can find another exercise that provides the same uh pseudo adaptation like gets you pretty darn close but then doesn't Add in a extra layer of you know mental fatigue basically mm-hmm. like he was mentioning a very very difficult workout on the bike um, and then if you're able to do a similar workout to get a similar adaptation and then not burn that mental match then it's probably worth it to do so um, so I guess like that goes along with kind of what you were saying with finding uh, things that get the right adaptations but then are
1: new or you know those that novel experience yeah Yeah. absolutely and i mean and there's different for me when i I think of the weight room i think of you know training adaptations and qualities that we can um progress like you know base level of strength the amount of power that you can have you know in, in cycling you want power endurance you want sprint repeatability um those type of things and like those are all different strength training qualities or sport performance qualities that that we can chase and For an athlete that's never stepped foot in a weight room, they're all going to go up at the same time, or we can train to um, elicit those adaptations all at the same time. But then once we get into a more advanced athletes, we're kind of playing with our phases, playing with our strength emphasis to try and get to those different qualities differently. So it's going to maybe be a month of training to adapt for power. And then we're going to take that experience that we have with power and then train to um, use that in a sprint repeatability type of phase. And we can simulate that on in the weight room and get that, you know, physiological quality so that then we can apply it to the cycling. So there there's different rabbits to chase and different times in the year to periodize and to plan them. Um, so again, it's not going to be, you know, we're doing our five by five squats and we're going to do that year round. We're, we're going to try and, you know, maybe there's a phase or there's a month to eight weeks to whatever of five by five squats, you know, if you're weak as a kitten and can't climb, we got to get you stronger period. Right. So we get you stronger, but then there's a ceiling to that. Like for a cyclist, you know, deadlifting 500 pounds versus definitely 600 pounds is maybe not going to make that big a difference. Right. (laughs) So maybe we're going to get you to this threshold of maybe being able to deadlift, you know, 300 pounds or 350 pounds or whatever it is, uh, according to your body weight. And then we're going to chase a different rabbit and try and transfer that closer to your sport. Love it. Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's also been the
0: interesting thing on my end is just planning where and when to put that emphasis on Mm -hmm. lifting. Um, And actually, I've been having a couple conversations with my athletes lately that have been like, ah, when are we going to start lifting heavy? Like when are we like they always kind of want to be lifting big objects. So that's always an interesting conversation (laughs) to have. Um, But anyways, all right. So this is actually a great segue into my first question. So I guess I'll go first. I was going to ask you to go first, but sorry. Sorry. Um, (laughs) uh, So I'm, you know, with your background, and I was talking to um, Steph and my wife about this the other day, where um, in the coaching world, for the most part, and this is, you know, going broad on this but Mm -hmm. it's rare for a you know a high level coach um, or a medium you know like just a coach to be working cross sports um so if you think about it like olympic level coaches Mm -hmm. they work within their specialty and they very very rarely cross that line um and there are a couple exceptions of course when sports kind of cross and then like you know cycling is a great example where that is um it's there are different disciplines within cycling and similar to other things as well. Um, but the strength and conditioning side of sport is amazing to me because you guys work with so many different athletes coming from so many different backgrounds. Um, and I was listening to a podcast with one of the red bull personal, like, um, strength and conditioning coaches the other day Mm -hmm. and God, they come up with some cool stuff and they (laughs) work with some crazy athletes. Like, yeah, everything from like a professional ping ponger to like a base jumper. So it's, it's such a crazy world. So basically rant ending there. It's um, I wanted to hear how you approach an athlete that comes to you from a sporting world that you know nothing about. Like how do you start with them and what is the, your process to designing and, and planning their training?
1: Oh man. That, that- that is one of my favorite things about strength conditioning, you know, is, is you get to learn about not only different sport rules and physical abilities and things, but, and I'm sure you're aware of this, each sport has its own kind of culture. Each sport has its totally. own in thing, has its own people at the top, has its own influencers. Um, but no, I, that stuff is fascinating to me because... Um, probably due to my master's degree. I lean a little bit sociological. I love to learn kind of the the atmosphere and the culture and the environment around um around a sport or around, you know, physical culture and that type of thing. So I love learning about that. I think if you're if you've chosen to, you know, specify this thing, you like talking about that thing. So, um that lends itself well for me personally. Um I like to like Coming to University of Denver, they have one of the top lacrosse programs in the nation. Yeah. Um, being from Illinois and Wisconsin, I'd never even watched a game of lacrosse be played. <laughs> like I, I had to get on it real quick to kind of research w- what lacrosse was, right? but then also get to know the athletes that play lacrosse and like what do they value and how am I going to coach them in the weight room because – you know sometimes football guys like to be in the weight room they like to get the amped up energy and like to be yelled at and and whatever else goes along with that kind of meathead culture lacrosse guys don't like that at all man like (laughs) lacrosse guys are like yo chill bro i I got it you know so um learning those different cultures i think is a great interpersonal segue for me but then more on the scientific aspect i think you just you kind of get your PhD in that sport, you start to research, you read. Um, There's a ton of exercise physiological papers that um, look at athlete outputs in each sport um, that kind of quantify different numbers. And nowadays we have accelerometers and GPS units on athletes playing sports so we can, you know, match out, map out what their distance is, how they cover it, how fast they have to burst, what different energy systems are at play. Um, There's a couple of different strength and conditioning coaches that have influenced me. The best strength and conditioning happens when we can look at a sport, look at the physical demands and the qualities, and then kind of reverse engineer that aspect into the weight room and then apply it specifically to an athlete. And so we look at – let's just use lacrosse. We look at a lot of um, – there is an aerobic fitness component because we're on the field, but there's also a lot of sprint recoveries. Not We're not sprinting on the field constantly. There's a lot of you know field-based change of direction actions. So how can I coach this athlete to change direction and be able to accelerate instantaneously? And then maybe I'm looking at a specific athlete who is a face-off guy in lacrosse. A face-off guy in lacrosse is on the field for 15 seconds, essentially wrestles another guy to get the ball, and then sprints off the field. So like he's going to train differently than a midfielder that's on the field for 40 minutes in a game. Um, So just getting that knowledge, like I said, like, I'd never played rugby either and now I, I train a whole rugby team um and some guys from a different team and I, I love the sport of rugby. I started playing rugby. Like it's just different ways that you as as a coach start to learn about different sports. Um and I think that goes hand in hand with getting to know your athletes. Like this is something that they've committed part of their life to, if not all of their life to be the world champion at. The least you can do is start to learn about it and be part of that world. Um, my first assignment at the university of Denver, straight out undergrad. Um, so I'd wrestled in undergrad and then my first strength and conditioning experience, I got to program strength and conditioning for my wrestling team like that I was a part of. So like that was straight Sweet. wheelhouse, right? Yeah. Yeah. And my first assignment when I got to university of Denver was I was in charge of four divers in their <laughs> strength and conditioning program. And it's All like, right. like what does this entail? Like, <laughs> you know, so, the way that I went about that physiologically is, first off, I went and attended some of their practices. I think twice a week I was in the pool, um, sitting on the sideline, not actually swimming. Um <laughs> <watching>, did dive. <laughs> no, I, I did not, which I'm sure they would have had a, a nice laugh if I would have tried. But um, watching their practice, getting into their, their culture and seeing what they value and how, how their bodies move, what type of um, muscle qualities that we need to elicit or what type of performance qualities – seeing that. And then I create buckets. And so this is kind of an analogy. It's like, which buckets do you fill to the brim? Which bucket, how much water do you have? And so I'm looking at that. And like, if these athletes are are collegiate athletes, they only have so much water because they're stressed out by school. They have to be here. There's a lot of demand for division one athletes. So it's like, where can I pour the most water? That's going to do the most good for these athletes. And you find different buckets to fill with the water, you know, like, isometric strength is a big one we have to be able to hold positions um concentric strength jumping off the board which is not you know a a big eccentric action um so it's just those different unique qualities that accompany each sport that we can get into and uh train specifically towards that but then there's also a general level of adaptation that i think a lot of athletes need to get to so Mm -hmm working generally to specifically along your timetable with the sport and their competitions, trying to peak at the right time. Like I said, man, it's just a giant puzzle that I love to try and piece together and trying to, um, get the best adaptations at the best possible time with my athletes.
0: Hmm. Okay. So I guess basically you receive an athlete from a particular, particular sport. So then your first step is, I guess, learning the sport. Yeah. Long story short. Right. Um, So, I guess, like, okay, I'm just throwing things at you, but, um, like, let's say, I mean, hiking and skiing and, uh, you know, running, sort of, uh, a lot of that is stabilizing work, um, but I'm making the assumption that had, let's say, for example, like, you have a Nordic skier come to you and say, I want you to train me, and uh, you've never Nordic skied before, um, and then they're asking you what to do so in that scenario uh i'm curious then how much you would be able to figure out like okay so you go out and watch um i'm curious like would you do you think that you would be able to dissect whether or not all right we need to work on um you know this muscle and this muscle and this stabilizer like as much as anything else
1: right and and that's um again a unique aspect again i I have very little experience with Nordic skiing but um you can watch and then three kind of categories i guess that i i like to see within the athletes as i look at bioenergetics like what energy system are they utilizing the most and how are we supplying energy to perform at the sport Mm -hmm. um and that true goes into conditioning training and, and, and um, different areas of that, I look at biodynamics, how is their how are their bodies moving, what is demanded of their muscles um, what type of movement is it, so to answer your question about different muscle systems and where it needs to be stable and what, um, quite honestly that um, absorbs a very small portion of, of a lot of the programs that I write I and I look, science loves to dissect things and look at them yeah. anatomically and, and all of this, but I think what we've lost we've almost lost the uh the force for the trees because your body works as a a harmony in in synchronous motion together so when i look at the biodynamics as like what pathways are we using to create force into the ground or to propel ourselves forward with skiing or to to move in this way so we look at movement patterns a push pull a contralateral Mm -hmm. pattern um in different ways to do that, like I already see it in skiing, a lot of hinging at the hips, a lot of, of RDL mechanics type of things like that. And then different areas of the race, there's going to be unilateral movement where it, you're almost like skinning or walking, right? Um, so we look at the biodynamics, how is the body moving and how is it required to move? Hmm. I, I would, again, being very ignorant to Nordic skiing, I would imagine there's a very small plyometric component to that. Cool. And so, um, so maybe that's not a bucket that we need to fill. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the third one is, is we look at biomotor, um, patterns. So specifically what joint angles are we hitting? How, um, how much force is required at those joint angles? Do we need to be able to hold a solid structure in a specific position? Um, and just seeing how specific to the sport that we can get, you know, maybe we're, doing an isometric circuit so we're holding a strong position and we're trying to do that over time to learn the position to create strength within it so that we're not um, leaking energy in our stride or or whatever that it is Um, how can we isolate that and see that for the sport that it is so bioenergetics biodynamics and then biomotor um, properties are are different approaches is kind of one way that i look at it too
0: cool yeah i like that i like this that's that's a cool way of dissecting it what how much do you rely on uh technology to be able to do all of this like i guess like anything from watching videos to using accelerometers and you know
1: whatnot um whatever's available man um there's there's a lot of different contexts that you'll find yourself in when i was at the university of denver or more aptly at the ufc performance institute man like kid in a candy shop. We got, you know, we got VO two machines. We got, um, Omega wave, which is like a wellness tracker daily. Um, mm-hmm. we got, you know, heart rate monitors on the available. We have video software that tells you how literally how fast you're moving a bar in a squat. We oh, have, sweet. you know, we have the, these different things. And like, so we're going to use a lot of them cause then we can create objective data and then we can, um, kind of track progress or see things differently that way. Um, and then quantify, quantify recovery scores and every that, but like, you know, in a different place that I'm at, I don't have any of that stuff. I have some exercise testing equipment, which we'll use to monitor training and stuff, but you know, I'm not going to send a a lacrosse or an North skier home with one of my personal heart rate monitors. Like, yeah, so it's like, it's how much can you use at a specific point? Um, yeah, actually technology was kind of on my hit list later, but, um, it's a very interesting world with sports technology and how we're increasing in that awareness mm-hmm. but still the skill of coaching I think takes over all of that data. Oh um, totally. Yeah. So uh, I mean I think it was probably not, uh, 18 months ago by now about a year and a half that I went to a sports technology conference actually and it was held at uh, cool. Colorado State. Yeah. Cool. And I was listening to, you know, NCAA Division 1 head of programs for football, head of programs for basketball. I think like Clemson basketball, Oregon football, like these guys that are sports tech wizards, like they use it. And I think six out of the eight presenters, I counted it up. Six out of the eight of them said, don't rely solely on your technology. Like you can't put too much stock into this stuff because at the end of the day, you have a human being performing in front of you. And like, and so I think that's really powerful in itself. Like, use the data for what it's worth and it gives you a clear picture for sure like don't don't shrug it off because it does have some value but um it can't be the only picture that you're looking at
0: no totally i'm 100 on the same page yeah um every athlete i start with i tell them immediately like i'm a data guy but that is not what drives my coaching um and yeah. i need the balance and i can coach you like a robot but it's not going to make you it most likely will not make you a good athlete Absolutely. Um, yeah I mean I forget what I was I was watching a documentary I think on um, Wiggins who is a, a you know very prolific cyclist um, and it was, essentially it was his documentary on his lead in into the tour and how basically once he did it he won it he sacrificed everything to do it but then he was like nope don't need to do it again that's it. Um that was not worth like well, it was probably worth the process, but he just didn't want to experience it again. Um, even to win the biggest race in the world. So yeah. uh it, it's one of those things that like and the the regiment that he did definitely was a you will sacrifice everything, even if yeah. it's like your happiness during this time. So right.
1: um but yeah. Yeah. Dang. Oh man, All like, right. that's such the narrative of sports though. It's like sacrifice more give more work harder and then oh, you'll be yeah, successful and like and again we can wait till, for a while i got a question to delve into this too but like <laughs> um but no like it, it, it's super interesting because um all this sport technology and this wellness monitoring uh technology is becoming available and we're tracking it right i mean almost everybody has you know a watch or a heart rate monitor or something tracking their heart rate variability telling them their readiness for training yep and you know it says oh uh, your energy is low today your cns is fatigued don't train you know what's the first thing you do screw it i'm going to train anyway i need to work <laughs> harder right yeah. you know, like it, it's it's an interesting crossover between technology science and then you know societal influences oh totally uh, so yeah i'm i uh, i have a lot of athletes that use whoop i have
0: i use it um mm-hmm. i do not use it as a a guide to my training um, yeah. and I think that's probably the biggest question I receive is like do you follow it when it tells you that you're fatigued or that you will likely have slow response and I use it more as like a tool of hey you might be feeling a little bit sluggish today um, yeah. and instead but uh, yeah it's, it's funny how I, I think I know maybe for one of my athletes does and has not trained when his when he has a red recovery score um interesting and i I know one professional athlete that does um but she's also one of those people that like will do like give up any social moment to make sure she's perfect on the sleep scale (laughs) which is also you know dedication into itself i suppose but anyways um okay great good first question i guess like
1: what is yours all right mine is getting a little more into um what i was talking about earlier getting to know a sport and getting to know you know kind of a culture of a sport and i know this to a degree just via social interaction stuff but like what's your experience with strength conditioning sports performance uh what do you think like a general cyclist's outlook on strength and conditioning uh is and like in general is this a a population that likes to be in the weight room or or like you said earlier finds it boring and doesn't really want to put those those uh, energies at risk yeah great question Um, I guess
0: in general culture within um, endurance I'm clumping a bunch of endurance sports here but um, I would say majority it's a negative stigma um, still but it's getting way better way way better um, you know, a couple of years ago, strength training was a thing in, um, you know, cycling and endurance sports, but it, it wasn't definitely wasn't a thing you did year round. Not at all. Yeah. Um, and then it was still in that constant battle of like, well, I don't want to gain mass. Right. How do I do this without gaining mass? Um, I don't want to weigh more. How do I, uh, still, you know, focus on my discipline when I'm in the strength room um and the kind of like meathead thing you were mentioning earlier um probably was in my opinion was at its peak a couple years ago so it that also didn't help but basically it is and was pretty bad um culturally i think but it's getting better and to the point where i would say a majority of my athletes are strength training now um Uh, Uh, Are
1: are you coaching that? I I know you were talking about your athletes asking you about lifting heavy and stuff, but are are you outsourcing for that or or how does that? I'm just curious what what your experience to is. Yeah, I do coach that. Um, I coach
0: a, I would say um, maybe probably 10% or 5% have their own strength and conditioning coach. Um, And if they have that ability, I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. um it's the same as far as like touching a little bit on nutrition um if they're able to hire a nutritionist i will of course never tell them no like that is something that that expertise will you know hopefully um be more than mine and because of that i'm all for them kind of like outsourcing or hiring out for that um but yeah i definitely i train um i will say that it's i can you know i imagine it's similar to you i can rattle off cycling workouts i can make them up in my sleep um but i it's not the same with strength workouts it takes me longer it's it i have to think more i have to i have to apply a little bit more creativity i have to look more i have to dig deeper do more research into what that athlete is trying to do and um and so i do write I I spend a lot, probably more time than I should on riding strength workouts, (laughs) just because I'm still crafting that side of my coaching. But yeah, Yeah. it is something that I reluctantly enjoy. Um, But it's also one of those things that, as I kind of mentioned earlier, it is kind of this funny contrast now where if I do have athletes that do want to um, lift, and if they do want to maybe even lift year-round – it's also trying to get them into a, a space where they can be okay with letting that affect their um, their workouts on the bike, and then mm-hmm. when and where we can let it affect the workouts on the bike. Um, and then I've had to have a couple conversations with a couple athletes of, like, do you have do you actually have time to do this? Um, right. Because ultimately, I always kind of like put my foot down with, if you don't have like three hours a week to train on the bike. I'm not going to tell you to go get into the gym. Sorry. Um, yeah. that's just kind of what we need to apply. So, um, but yeah, I, 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 do write, I have, um, my favorite programs to kind of use are a little bit more dynamic. Um, the company like FastCat likes to use a, a program that's kind of like sweetened to the point. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to be a little bit more explorative because I think it keeps it fresh and I've found great mental, Um, So basically, exactly what you were mentioning earlier, I've found great mental response from that, where if you give a different workout every single time they're in the gym, um, and it doesn't mean they're not like doing squats more than once, um, but it means that they have something fresh to look forward to and to to try compared to just doing the same four exercises over and over again. Um, And that's just been my own personal experience uh, with coaching athletes through. Uh, strength workouts but yeah i'm always as we've already touched on i'm always intrigued that like i follow a bunch of different strength and conditioning coaches on on instagram and every single time i pull up one of their accounts they've always posted something new and different that i haven't seen before um which is awesome but uh yeah so i guess like that's kind of where i think the social lines go within endurance sports so far
1: No, and and I think, like you said, with the the Instagram coaches, you know, posting different things. I think that's that's an awesome hallmark. I think of of strength conditioning is like, and and I think a lot of coaches have that outlook, which is like, I'm going to share what I can because then we're all going to get better, and then we can do the strength conditioning thing that much more effectively for our athletes. Um, I think that's a great outlook as part of um, the profession. Of course, applying it within context and, and understanding, like, what you're looking at and what you can apply or not apply with a certain athlete is important, too. But, I mean, that's, like, one of the hallmarks that that I've looked at um, since I started making programs is, like early on in my career, when I first got a rugby team, I was, I was making this program and like, and I handed out physical sheets for the athletes to, you know, track their progress on. And so that I knew their testing numbers, and et cetera, whatever. And then they started asking me like, can we have a PDF of it? Because, you know, if we have to miss the gym or I want to do it on my own, blah, blah, blah. And some, some of the, the sport coaches were like, you don't want to put that out in PDF, then everybody's going to have it, you know, they're going to yeah, see. It. And it's yeah. like, it's like, <laughs> that is so low on my concern on the totem pole. Like if, if somebody has this program and let's say it's six months old or a year old and I haven't progressed beyond that in my own programming or in my next rugby program, like then I'm doing something wrong. Right? So I think that's, that's an interesting outlook with the profession.
0: Um, Dude, I love that. That's it. Yeah. I need to keep that in mind. I think yeah. more, um, I've been like every week I've been starting to put out a workout every week Mm -hmm. um and then that was like in part selfish for myself to continue to to force myself to design something new um but also i kind of looked around and realized like god cycling is awful no like i follow a ton of different coaches um that are in my world and they nobody posts anything um and like my company does like we put out training content and stuff like that but it's still um yeah yeah for whatever reason it's very guarded and Um, but I really like the concept of if you haven't written something different or better since that point, like, what are you doing?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Then, then, yeah. Then you're not growing personally. And like, exactly. And like that, that was kind of the mantra for a long time. It's like, I, I'm being selfish in this education. I'm being selfish. Like I ultimately want to serve the athlete, but I need to put my time into this education so that I can serve the athlete better. Right. So like, if you're not growing, then you're not serving the athlete better. Um, so I think that's an interesting outlook. But I love what you said about being more explorative with your programs. I think that, again, spices it up. It gets athletes more engaged. Um, and, like, human movement is so interesting, man. Like, there's not – we like to apply all these biomechanical principles. Like, yeah, knee has to be 90 degrees. We have to get this level of ankle dorsiflexion, blah, blah, blah. Like, And all that's cool and right and, and probably correct and, and safe for the athlete. And, like, there's a time and place – But there's also a time and place to, like, let athletes be athletes, you know, and and let them get after a little bit um, or do something more creative, more explorative. So I I like that type of quality in the programming. Like, I was having this conversation with another coach, too, is, like, I'm fleshing out, like, a YouTube channel where I have all my exercise demonstrations. I put, you know, I have personal training people on an app that we have videos to the programs. And it's like, man, you're you're doing videos again? Like, don't you have all those exercises logged by now? It's like, no, man, I like I at least create one or two just new exercises. I don't even know what to call them. They're just <laughs> different movements that help with shoulder stability or that are going to help this athlete get overhead or blah, blah, blah. I, I create them every time I write a program. Like, that's fun to me. That is a, a creative endeavor, right? So um, I'm a big fan of exploring movement. Um, somebody that I think you should follow or that if you're interested in, moving with kettlebells or exploring movement in that way and Mm -hmm. getting more of a rotational base down is uh, Vernon Griffith on Instagram. Mm. Okay. He, uh, he is a tactical strength and conditioning coach at the heart, but, um, he promotes on Instagram, a, a thing called mission explore. And he just, I don't know if he creates them or he has partners, but he just posts different movements and different exercises that look, they're fun to do first off, but um, they just get at strength and conditioning in a different way rather than this strict sagittal barbell approach. Cool.
0: Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll look them up. That sounds that sounds great. I mean, the, uh, one thing I am kind of curious on your thoughts on or approach, mm-hmm. um, just as like I would love to know more on, um, one thing I really struggle with, obviously, is I'm mostly a remote coach. I ride with a couple of my athletes. I Mm -hmm. do zero strength conditioning in person. Mm -hmm. Um, And as such, I cannot watch form. I cannot watch how they're, they're going about doing those techniques or lifts. Um, So yeah, like how, do you have any suggestions to athletes out there that are basically taking on a lift on their own? Like they're, they're trying something new maybe that they haven't, they don't have supervision over.
1: No. And that's, that's a hard gap to, to bridge. Um, that was my initial hesitation. And, and quite honestly, before, you know, COVID happened and quarantine and everybody's doing their own workouts at home or or, or things. And I think it's trending more towards a private type of fitness world. But before COVID hit and before, you know, everybody's kind of forced to innovate, I was like dead set against remote and online coaching. It's like they can't get a quality program for me. I can't watch them move. Like, I, I feel like I, I wasn't going to be able to do enough, right, or get a, a good enough picture of the training. But that being said, COVID happened. Now I have online programs and remote athletes. Um, and it's something I still, you know, a pill you have to swallow that. You're not going to be able to be there every step away, way, but I think that might be detrimental too if you are. Um, supplying demonstration videos has been huge for me. Asking for feedback, I mean, that's, I mean, I think one of the pivotal points in coaching is like, hey, send me a video of you doing that squat or of you doing that kettlebell swing, whatever it is. Um, tell me what felt comfortable, what what was uncomfortable. How, and like um, a really involved um Approach, I think, is huge on that one. Um, like, I think of a story I had. I had an athlete, and this was actually one of my former wrestling teammates. Um, and I, I was training him because he's going to the army and he wants to do, do really well on his combat test, his physical training test. Um, and I programmed in. I was like, "All right, we're going to start a clean progression. We're going to have you doing hang cleans and blah blah blah." And so, first week, I was like, "All right, let's start with a front squat. Send me a video of you doing a front squat." And he'd already been doing front squats for four weeks or whatever. And I get this video of him doing a front squat and like, he's holding the bar in his hands, not on his shoulders. His elbows are pointing directly down. And like, it just looks like a painful position. And, uh, and I was like, man, how long you been in front squats? Like, like, I just don't have a shoulder mobility. It's like, okay, maybe we we should change our modality and get power a different way than a clean. So um, getting that feedback, I think is huge, but um, just, yeah i mean that i guess that's been my biggest approach since i've started um and i have started to use different softwares too i think that makes it so much smoother i don't know if you use a an app for your training or what you do but
0: yeah i mean it's it's all i use a system called training peaks which is like the um system for uh basically endurance sports more or less um, just Mm -hmm. allows a great Ability to uh, communicate and or track metrics that are really um, pivotal within uh, cycling, in particular. I have used other lifting apps um, in the past, and that's been great as well mm-hmm. um, because, like, it is kind of cumbersome on this side. It'd be tough to give an athlete like another app to use, but like, yeah. do you have any that you really like
1: or recommend? No, I, I get that. I, and then again, I'm I'm pretty technologically. Adversed when it comes to iPhones and, and things like that, so I was again had had to adapt um, rather than chose to. But um, for personal training and, and personal use, I've found a lot of success using the True Coach app. Okay, yeah, um, I've heard of that. Yeah, that's worked really well. I like how open it is, and then. Um, Again, not that we're copy and pasting workouts, but it saves every workout that you write as a coach so you don't have to reinvent the wheel yeah, when totally you know when you know you want somebody it. to do yeah, a, a push day on Monday or, or whatever it is. You don't have to write all that down again. Um, so and they include they have a pretty large library of videos within themselves. Um, so that helps, but then you can upload your own videos and stuff like that. So that's been a smooth app for me. Sweet.
0: Yeah, I'll look into that. That's I will say that Training Peaks is good at many things, but video incorporation is not. It is not even close. Probably on their radar. You know, I might need to talk to them about that. But like, (laughs) no way. Um, Basically, you can attach files, and that's about it. Um, Well, yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, it's it's an evolving atmosphere for sure. Um, I think yeah. I think that's it's going to be one of the biggest things coming out of quarantine is is a lot more remote services. but one thing you said that I want to touch on, and this is something that I am focusing on and and very passionate about within, you know, the community that that I would like to eventually someday specialize into, which is mixed martial arts. But you talked about lifting and having to gain mass from lifting. Um, and I kind of want to bust that myth like that. <laughs> that is, is such a. Um, kind of archaic mindset that just because I'm going to start lifting weights means that I'm going to start gaining weight. Um, not true, you know. Um, it's it's kind of a simple thing like, you know, if it was easy to get jacked and huge and gain a bunch of weight from lifting, everybody would do it, right? It's not It's not like all of a sudden I'm going to touch a barbell and then do some squats and now my quads, you know, are a, an inch thicker. Like... Um, gaining mass can be an objective for weightlifting. And I think that comes from, you know, the collegiate football approach where we want every, almost every football to be football player, to be bigger. It's not part of a, it's not an integral part of a program. You know, we're going martial arts. They have to make weight every time they compete. So gaining weight would be strictly contradictory to their goals. Same with cycling. Like the more mass that you put on your body, I understand that the slower that you're going to race, like the harder it is to push that more mass. So, Getting stronger is essentially and is very strictly a neurological stimulus. Um, Lifting weight, getting better at lifting weight, um, creating more smooth neural pathways or activating muscles that just frankly don't get activated typically. Um, That is a lot of your adaptation into getting stronger. And it's the very few athletes that are so strong that we literally need to put size on them for they get stronger. Um, That's very seldom the case so um gaining mass is not strictly associated with weight training um it can be but mostly it's a neurological stimulus
0: all right um well thank you everyone once again and um yeah we'll we'll get this out this will definitely be a two-parter um which have been which i'm all for so that's that's great so thank you again And, and thanks for your insight just on the strength and conditioning world um we'll just have to have more chats about this and yeah (laughs) maybe we can let you know let each other know what our questions even were um but yeah again everyone um find us on instagram at training edge pod um give us a rate and review that would be great um as i kind of mentioned i've got new season stuff in the works so that i'll eventually take over but i think i'm going to do a couple more of these so you'll have a couple more guests to, to get to know um but yeah everyone have an awesome week Enjoy your day um, or night, and um, until next time, keep finding your edge. Thanks, guys.